If you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 12 with me? We'll be in verses 1 through 11. If you have uh, one of the blue Bibles from our church, I think it's page 898. I forgot to write it down, but I think that's right. But we're in John 12. <clears throat> Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Martha therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged in the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. I don't have many TV shows that, that I like a lot, but one that I do enjoy is Shark Tank. I don't know if anyone's a Shark Tank. Well, some people just smile big. Like biggest, maybe they smile at church in a while. Um, so Shark Tank, I love Shark Tank. If you don't know the show, um, so these guys on the left here, I don't, uh, maybe I do know all their names, but it doesn't matter. Um, they're all self-made millionaires, and a, a few of them are billionaires, right? Like, like they didn't just inherit it. Like, they worked for the money. Brilliant business people. So what happens is someone with a business, someone that's, um, uh, they've either made a product or, or somehow their product has become a, a business, they come and, and they make a pitch to the sharks. And what they're hoping for is that one of the sharks, or at least one, will say, yes, I want in on this. I want in, I'm going to invest in your company. So where it gets tricky is part of their business pitch is, is they're saying, hey, I'm seeking X number of dollars, whatever it is, $200,000 for you know, X percent of my company, or however they want to work out the deal. And this is why they're called sharks, because the sharks start swimming here, and, and, and they're, they're thirsty for blood. So things get a little dicey on the show, which is part of why it's fun, right? Uh, I, I'm amazed by entrepreneurs, but um, I want to watch the sharks kind of go at it, right? They're, they're playful. Um, and and they, uh, they ask some intense questions, and sometimes these people are sweating, and I always imagine trying to be up there pitching my own business and going, man, I wouldn't stand a chance. But what they most often nail the entrepreneurs on is what they call valuation, right? What, what they say the value of their company is. I can remember, I think, only two times of the episodes I've seen, and certainly I haven't seen every episode, where the, uh, the business person making the pitch undervalued their company uh, by the shark's estimation. That is very, very rare. Normally, it's the exact opposite. There was, uh, I watched one the other day, Paleo Nick. I don't know if anybody remembers that episode, but Ice Age uh, Foods. Um, he comes in, and he values his business at $10 million, and they push him on it, and then at some point he goes, it's probably worth a billion. And so they just all check out. Well, after they tear him to shreds, they check out one by one. His valuation was, was way off. 
I can't guess the value. Like, you watch the show, and obviously it's edited down, um, so, so it looks like it happens quickly. But, but the sharks are good. They're good at coming up what, with what they believe a company is worth. If I had to do that, I, I wouldn't be able to. But none of us are strangers to, to placing value on something, to determining the worth of something, whether it's uh, a house you want to rent or buy, or, or a car, or the value of education, or even everyday purchases. We, we decide if something is valuable enough to us, and, and, and then what we're going to do with that. Recognizing the supreme value of Jesus and responding to his worth is, is critically important. This is a valuation we do not want to be wrong about. And even when we get it right intellectually, the question is, does our devotion our worship, our affections, our living match his supreme value. It's one thing to say that, that Jesus, you're, you're this valuable, right? You, you're, you're, you are so worthy, but does our life match that value? Certainly Mary sees the value of Jesus. She, she's blown away by who he is and what he's done. And she responds with everything that she has to try and match that value. She gives Jesus her best in response to his worth. There's a missionary um, named Jim Elliott. I don't know how many of you know of him. He's, he's a pretty famous missionary. Um, he's actually from the area. Grew up in, in southeast Portland. I don't know if you knew that. Went to Wheaton Bible College. Uh, he died in Ecuador trying to reach uh, a certain tribe there with the gospel. The, the man was incredibly passionate about the lost coming to know Jesus. He's a ton of great quotes. I'm, I'm going to share two with you today. The first one is this. He says, Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Right? Forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Right? He's saying, God is, is so extraordinary, and yet my life makes it look like my God must be just an ordinary God. How worthy is Jesus? Our affections, our worship, our praise, our devotion, the pouring out of our lives will directly coincide with how much we value Jesus, with how worthy we think Jesus is. You're in a church, so my guess is most, maybe all of us say Jesus is worthy of everything. But, but we have to ask ourselves, does our life match that? Does, it, does our life show that, yes, we really believe Jesus is worthy? Because if we believe it, then we will live lives that pour out our best to Jesus. Or is our worship half-hearted? Is our devotion fragmented? Is it clear that, that I treasure something else more than Jesus? Our truth statement for today is this. Those who recognize that Christ is supremely worthy give their best to honor him. Those who recognize that Christ is supremely worthy give their best to honor him. Let's jump into our passage, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This, is, this marks Jesus' final Passover. John's taken us through two Passovers with Jesus. And this, he's within days, he's within a week of laying down his life as the true Passover lamb. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the Passover before, if you remember what the Passover is, but God, when he was going to free 
Israelites from Exodus, just before he freed them, he told them, you need to sacrifice a lamb. Each household sacrifices a lamb. You're going to eat that lamb, but the, the blood of the lamb, you're going to take that blood and you're going to mark the doorposts. And then that night, the angel is going to come over all the, all the houses, and each house that's marked by the blood of the lamb, that house will be safe. Right? The, the blood of that lamb was sacrificed, it was substituted so that house would be safe. And those who, who didn't obey, who didn't let a lamb be their substitute, they paid the price. So for generations, Israelites celebrated this Passover. They remembered how God had saved them. They remembered the provision by the blood of the lamb, looking forward to the lamb of God who would die in their place, to Jesus who would be their substitute. John, in his gospel here, right, he spent the first half over like three years, and now the last half pretty much is one week. This week is very, very important. Jesus has been in control of the time of his death this whole time, and he's walking right into it now, still in control. Now Jesus is with Lazarus, who, who he raised from the dead. There were witnesses there, word traveled quick, and people, as, as we saw at the end of this passage, people want to see Jesus and they want to see Lazarus. They want to see Lazarus with their own eyes that he is living. Verse 2, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. When it says they gave him a dinner, I take that to mean that they put on a dinner to honor Jesus. Jesus had just raised Lazarus, the brother from the dead, and they, they, wanted to, they wanted to respond to who Jesus is. So they, they put on this dinner, and this gathering is all about the honor of Jesus. Right? It isn't about them. It isn't about Martha or Mary. It's not even about Lazarus. It is about honoring Jesus. That, that's what their dinner gathering is about. I wonder, does our gathering reflect that? Right, is our gathering about honoring Jesus. I don't even mean just our Sunday service, but anytime we get together with believers. Are we about honoring Jesus? This dinner clearly was. He was the guest that would be honored. Lazarus was there reclining at the table with Jesus. Martha was there doing what she does best. She's making all this go well. She wants the night to be perfect. She's serving. Martha's a doer, if you haven't picked up on that yet. Martha's a doer. She's serving. I wouldn't be surprised if, if she made sure that the table looked just right, that the house was clean, that, that it smelled good, that everything was just right. But she's, she's there using her gift to honor Jesus. And now it's Mary's time to come in and do her part. Verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So Mary comes in with a heart full of thanksgiving, of awe, of wonder, of amazement, of joy, of thankfulness. And all of this is directed at Jesus. She's ready to act out her devotion. She, she wants to, to respond, and words aren't enough right now. Words would not articulate the, the thoughts and the feelings that she had. She had to show him and everyone at this meal how much she valued Jesus, how grateful she was, how worthy he is. So she comes to him to honor him as Lord. Now perhaps 
As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, when Jesus came four days after Lazarus had died, perhaps she questioned, Man, Jesus, I thought you loved us. I thought you loved me. I thought you loved my brother. But she no longer questions that. She knows that Jesus loves her and her family more than she ever imagined. She also understands that Jesus is greater than she had ever fathomed. She knew that Jesus could stop her brother from dying. She had no idea that he could, he could bring her brother back to life from the dead. And she knows now that Jesus had in mind for them what was best for them. Not just saving their brother, but showing them who he is, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, come into the world. So she anoints him with what's described as expensive ointment made from pure nard. Um, so basically, there's this Himalayan plant, and they take the root, and it's like essential oil, right? We all know what essential oil is nowadays, right? So this is really, really expensive essential oil. So if someone in your family is buying essential oil and you're complaining about how much it costs, it's not as much as this. Um, th this stuff is, it, it's, it's about, um, if you were to go to Starbucks and get, uh, order a tall drink, it's about that much. 11 and a half ounces, Starbucks tall is 12 ounces, or a can of pop, something like that. So in, in verse 5, Judas says, this could be sold for 300 denarii. Um, I'm sure you're all up on how much a denarii uh, exchange is for currently. So one denarii equals one day's wage. So Washington, I believe our minimum wage right now is 11.50. So you take that, multiply that by eight, multiply that by 300 working days, and you come up with about $27,600. I said about, that's the number actually. Um, uh, now you could argue like, hey, they worked longer than eight hours, so maybe they're working like a 12-hour day. So maybe this is, maybe the value is more like 40 grand, right? You like, you think your Starbucks cup's expensive. Man, this is valuable. So now you could argue the guy who places the value on it is Judas, right? He's a thief. He's a liar. So, so maybe we shrink that value down. Let's say it's only worth 10 grand. This is expensive ointment. This is pricey ointment that she's ready to just pour out on the feet of Jesus. She came to Jesus ready to give the best that she had. We don't know how she got this bottle. A lot, of, a lot of scholars think that the family's probably really wealthy. Maybe this is an heirloom that was passed down for, for generations. Maybe the whole family got together and said, we got to do something, and they pooled all their money to buy this. We, we don't know, but we do know that the value w was, was great and that she was ready to express her devotion, her affections, her worship of Jesus with this costly possession. She wasn't about to honor Jesus with a somewhat extravagant oil. She gave him the best. So much so, as we'll see, uh, people question whether this demonstration was, was too lavish. So, so she's got the bottle. She uses her hair to wipe his feet. Right? Now, as a guy, like my hair doesn't mean that much to me. I'm grateful to have hair. Um, I hope generally, or always, I hope it doesn't look dumb. Don't come up to me later and tell me my hair doesn't look dumb, or that it does. Um, but but a, a woman's hair, there's, it, it just means so much more. There's so much more value. There's so much more care in a woman's hair. I, I ran out of hair care product the other day, and I had to go to the store 
and I'm going trying to find my little bottle of stuff. And I was grateful because the section was small for guys' hair care products. And then you turn, right? This massive, all these options for hair care products. I was overwhelmed with my little section. Like a, a woman's hair means, means so much more. So Mary, she lets down her hair, right? And this is, this is personal. This is valuable to her. She lets down her hair, and, and she uses it like it's a towel or, or a rag because she wanted to wipe the feet of her Lord, of her Savior, the one she honored above all else. So while the ointment is expensive, and it may even been a possession with great personal significance, it was something detached from her. But using her hair, she's saying, there isn't a part of who I am that I'm holding back from you, Jesus. Not a piece of me do I hold back from you, Lord. My hair is but a rag for you. And I, I've, been, I've been thinking and, and praying all week, Lord, would you, would you show us the ways that we don't want to lay, lay down our lives for you? Right? Can, can we say like Mary, there isn't a part of me that I wouldn't give you, Jesus. I'm holding nothing back, Lord. I've been praying that, that God would, would show us all the ways that we hold back. So she does this to his feet. John focuses on, on the feet of Jesus. It would have been one thing if she was using her hair on like his hands or, I don't know, his head or his face even. Um, but his feet, right? It, they weren't wearing shoes that covered up their feet completely. They weren't walking on paved roads. They're, they're walking around in sandals. It's dusty. It's dirty. There's animal stuff all over. We don't know. Maybe when Jesus came in, very, very possible that someone had already washed his feet. The, the servant did that. Totally possible. Regardless, Mary humbles herself here as she, as she wipes the feet of Jesus. Right? If if Jesus had an insignificant part of himself, which he doesn't, but even if he did, she's saying, Lord, even, even the lowest part of you is, is worthy of all my devotion. So she humbles herself. She doesn't care about the cost of the perfume. She doesn't care about what it's doing to her hair. She doesn't even care about what others think of her. She's devoted to Jesus. She's going to proclaim his worth, his value. We don't get to find out the, the thought process. We don't, we don't know the, the brainstorm session that they had in, in figuring out, okay, what are we going to do for Jesus? How, how are we going to honor him? At some point, someone said, let's, let's, let's throw him a dinner. But I wonder, did someone else say, but a dinner, that's not enough. He rose Lazarus from the dead. We've we got to do, do more than that. I suspect that, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all in. On, on Mary anointing his feet. We don't know if they wrestled back and forth. We don't know if they thought, man, this is too valuable. We wrestle with much, much less. We wrestle with small things that aren't nearly as costly. For us, sometimes we wrestle with, man, am I, am I going to stand up while I sing this song at church, right, in a, in a safe place where, where at least most of the room loves Jesus, and yet we get in our own head. Or, or maybe, maybe we see an opportunity to share about Jesus, even in a really, really small way with someone that doesn't know him yet, and, and, and we find ourselves rationalizing why we shouldn't do it. 
why now is not the right time, or, or maybe that person won't receive our words. Or maybe you, you've been asked to, to volunteer part of a ministry, whether here or somewhere else, and, and you're evaluating, and you look at your schedule, and you just think, ah, now is just not the right time. I'm, I'm too busy. Or maybe you hear about an organization or a ministry that has a need, and you consider how much to give. No matter what it is, however you respond to any of those or any other thing, would anyone look at you and go, ah, oh, that's too much. That is too lavish of you. Jesus isn't worthy of that. No riches, no heirloom, nothing compares to the worth of Jesus. This could have been a $10 million bottle, and he would have been more than worthy of it. Last part of the verse says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I mean, where we are, our houses, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, are they filled with the aroma of our worship of Jesus? Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who is about to betray him, and if you've been paying attention, John wants us to know what a rat Judas is, okay? So he who is about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It sounds like a reasonable question. And we can't help, as we look at this passage, we can't help but contrast Mary and, and Judas, they both saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. It, it's not like Judas wasn't an eyewitness, not only to that miracle, but to other miracles that Jesus had done. He'd heard what Jesus had taught. I'm guessing that he was even amazed from time to time at some of the things Jesus said and did. But he didn't believe. He saw, but he didn't trust in Jesus he was getting closer and closer to betraying Jesus. He tried to sound godly by saying this could be given to the poor. But the next verse reveals his heart. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus knew the heart of Judas. He may have fooled everyone else, but God wasn't duped. We can make excuses that might sound upright and godly to everyone else, but God sees right through those reasons to our heart. Too many times to count, I've rationalized away why I shouldn't do something or say something or give something, maybe selfishness or fear or my own desire for comfort. Whatever the reason was, my goal was not to honor Jesus. My focus was on me, not on Christ, not the one worthy of all devotion. Judas had a morally justifiable excuse. It sounded right. In other gospel accounts, other people chimed in like, yeah, he's right. That makes sense. I wonder, do you ever discourage someone through words or actions from responding to Jesus, that their response to Christ is over the top? Mary worships Jesus, which leads to life. Judas worships himself through the love of money, and it leads to death. All non-Jesus worship leads to death. In fourth grade, my teacher read a book to us that uh, I loved it. Where the Red Fern Grows, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it, was a, it was a story about a young man, I think he was probably like early teenager, way back in the day, and he, he wanted to trap raccoons and, and sell the skins, right, to make money. 
So he, uh, and he had two dogs, Big Dan and Little Ann, uh, that helped him. Um, and he, he had this really simple trap. I, I can't remember if this is what he used the whole way through the book, but, but at least in the beginning, he, he, he drilled a hole or bore a hole into a log, put a shiny object in there that would attract a raccoon, and then he drove nails in so that the raccoon could stick its paw in there and if, if the raccoon didn't grab the shiny object, he just pulled the paw out, no problem. But as soon as the raccoon grabbed that object, his hand was stuck. Right? And he, he could try and try and try, but he couldn't, he couldn't get his hand out. And as a kid, I just thought, man, what a stupid creature. Like, just let go of the thing. Right? It's not even food. It doesn't help you live. But, but the raccoon wants this shiny object. More, more than they wanted freedom, they wanted this shiny object. They couldn't imagine life without this shiny object. So they tried to find a way to get that object out with their hand freed. It was as if their grip was impossibly stuck around the object, and it would cost the raccoon its life. And we aren't that different. When Judas betrayed Jesus, he thought he was selling Jesus, but instead he was selling himself. He put his hand in to grab the shiny objects that he mistakenly thought were more valuable than Christ. 30 shekels of silver is what Judas received for betraying Jesus, about $1,000. And John wants us as readers, as observers, to clearly see the trap, to clearly see that anything that promises to give you life outside of Jesus is a lie. No one, no thing gives life but Jesus. So do we see that? Do, do, do I see that Jesus is the only one worthy of my devotion? Another Jim Elliott quote for you. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Maybe the, the most famous of Jim Elliott's quotes. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So this contrast between Mary and Judas is stark. Giving yourself to Jesus leads to life. Right, giving him your best. I, I think of the woman with the two coins. And, and, and compared to all these people that gave all this money, Jesus said, no, she gave all that she had. She gave her best to him. Valuing anything more than Jesus leads to death. No matter how shiny, how promising, no matter how it makes you feel in that moment, if something seems more valuable than Jesus, your valuation is off and it's deadly. Verse 7, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Verse 8, Jesus, Jesus isn't saying don't care for the poor. Jesus, Jesus is saying he deserves the same honor as God, the, the very same honor as the Father. He's saying I'm here for a short time. The poor are still going to be here. You're going to be able to serve them, to help them. But while I'm here, you should honor me as I'm worthy of. Verse 7 is, is a little tricky. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my variable. What, what is the, the it the, so, so that she may keep it? I'll give you three options. Um, the it could be the perfume. And, and in many ways, it seems uh, like this is obvious, that, that this is the correct one. As I read verses 3 and 5, though, it seems to me like she pours it all out, or most of it, at least. So I'm, I'm just not so sure. But, but maybe this is it. Maybe Jesus says, so that, so that she can keep it because it's going to be needed for the day of my burial. Second option, some have translated, she intended to keep it for the day of my burial. This was never meant to be for the poor. You'll always have the poor with you, but Mary rightly wanted to use this to honor me. 
It's another option. The third, others think that it might be the attitude that she has. Let, let her keep her devotion, her love, her awe, her worship of me all the way to my burial. I'm not sure which it is. There's a bunch of others that I don't think are right. Of those three, I'm not sure. But what Mary, what Mary has done is right. It, it was not too costly. Jesus defends her. She doesn't have to defend herself. Verse 9. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on, on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Like I said, the word traveled quickly. It didn't take long for the crowd to figure out where Jesus was. And it wasn't just Jesus they wanted to see. They wanted to see Lazarus too. And for many of them, seeing Lazarus solidified their belief. They saw Lazarus and said, okay, if Jesus can do that, I believe. I'm in. But the chief priests couldn't handle Jews believing in Jesus. Jews were, were leaving their religion, the religion of the priests, and instead turning and trusting in Jesus as their Savior. So Lazarus, in their eyes, needed to be killed. They needed to keep people, other people, from trusting in Jesus. The truth of Jesus was right in front of them. Just like Judas, though, they were convinced that what they wanted would give them life, and they're ready to kill for it. I'm going to end with some questions of, of application. I don't anticipate that every one of these questions will hit, hit all of you, but, but I hope that some of them will. The, the first and most obvious question is, do we value Jesus like Mary or like Judas? I've been asking myself all week, what am I holding back from Jesus? What's too much? What, what, is, what is too lavish in my mind? to give to Jesus. And obviously, I, I would never verbalize that, but what am I living that way? Parents, do your kids see and know that you're devoted to Jesus? Or, or, or do they see your devotion to your alma mater or your sports team or, or the place you get your paycheck from? Am I devoted to Jesus when the cost is steep? Am I devoted to Jesus when I don't feel like it? Like Judas, do you find more value apart from Jesus? If you do, is what you want worth it? Will it be worth it 50 years from now? Will it be worth it 350 years from now? Is that possession, that ambition, that feeling, whatever it is that you find more valuable than Jesus, is it worth it? If you begin to see that it pales in comparison to Jesus, pray for God to open your eyes to his supreme value. Last group of questions. Are you stifling someone from wholeheartedly responding to Jesus? Are you discouraging someone from lavishly loving Jesus, from sacrificing for Jesus? Are you telling someone with or without words, that's too much, that's over the top? I'm gonna play the odds here and say that if you're a Christian in America, we hold too much back from Jesus, across the board. That's what we do. Mary wasn't holding back. Mary didn't understand the significance of anointing Jesus in that moment. She, she, didn't, she didn't know the preparation for, for his death, that in a matter of days, he would willingly give up his life. Like Caiaphas last week, 
in the passage. She wasn't aware how God was using her to point to Jesus' sacrifice that would make him our Savior. She had no idea that her actions would forever, literally forever, be part of the gospel story. That in giving herself, she would prepare the body of Jesus for the most God-glorifying, most loving moment in history. Let's pray. Jesus, I cannot describe your worth or your value. Lord, you are holy. Jesus, we know we know you and the Father are one, the Holy Spirit. We know that you're worthy of everything we could give you. We know that anything that we even have is because of you. Jesus, would we treasure you more than anything else? Lord, would you be so gracious as to show us all the areas in our lives where we do not treasure you? God, we do not want to waste our lives chasing after shiny things. We want to chase after the one that shines more brightly than any other thing, Lord. And that's only you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'd like prayer for anything, we're going to have our prayer team in the back. Um, if there's something in your heart and mind that you just need, you need to pray about, go back there and, and receive prayer. I've talked to several people through, as we've been going through John, where you're just burdened for someone that you know. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member that has not trusted Jesus yet. Go, go pray. Go pray that their heart would be open, that you would have the courage, that God would give you the words to share Jesus with them. Or maybe you realize that there's something you need to willingly give to Jesus. I would encourage you to go back and receive prayer.